Welcome to the Bad Soccer Dad Podcast, where we're asking, why do our attempts to bring out the best in young athletes often bring out the worst in parents? And what would it take to flip the script? Join us each week as we seek to develop better parents, better athletes, and better conversations. Here's your host, Steve Norman. My conversation this week is with Jack Wilson. He's a former administrator at Oakland University in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He's also a therapist, corporate coach, and sports performance expert. Jack's also a friend and mentor. 19 years ago, Jack helped Kelly and I with our premarital counseling. So if there's anything dysfunctional in our marriage, it's only because I didn't follow his directions. Let's jump into the podcast. Jack, what kind of sports did you play growing up? Uh, Growing up, I played basketball, football, baseball, diving, um, and that's about it. Okay. Which sports did you feel like you excelled at, or did you put, which of those did you play at the high school level, uh, if any? Diving was uh, probably the thing I was I was pretty good at. Okay. Uh, and then I played uh, uh, up through my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, and I played all three sports. Okay. And then I had a, a career-ending kind of a uh, injury, and uh, so being wanting to be involved on a regular basis I uh, switched over to being a cheerleader okay yeah, so and that you know that was a lot of fun a lot of a lot of uh, tumbling type of activities yeah. involved in cheerleading sure you know? and then that carried me on into college where I was nowhere near good enough an athlete to play at division one okay uh, but I was the uh, mascot for my university were you really yeah so I, I did I was a cheerleader for a year and then I was a mascot for two years and that was a blast again the I got to do tumbling and you know, that kind of activity. You know, and what, so. what was the process for be- becoming a mascot? The process for becoming a mascot was to apply, you know, uh, and it was a secret process, you know, so nobody knew who no knew who I was. Okay. Uh, and it was at Bowling Green, and I was Freddie the Falcon. That is awesome. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was great fun. I loved it, uh, and used to do, um, you know, I spent a lot of time climbing around on the goalposts and stuff like that. One of the favorite memories of people who didn't even know who I was was the time that I fell off the goalpost. Oh, and everybody thought I'd done it on purpose. No, I you didn't do not. it on purpose. I just got lucky and didn't break anything. And you and you can't like have any physical manifestations of right. pain right. or need as exactly. the mascot, right? Yeah. Because right. they have no nerves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And how many years did you do that for? Uh, well, like I said, I was a, a cheerleader for one year. Okay. And then I was um, the mascot for two. And were you the sole mascot, or they have different people the, who rotate at in? At that point, uh, they only had one. Okay. Uh, but now they do so much more community service okay. that they actually have um, a Frida Falcon and okay. a Freddy Falcon. That's awesome. And there are four people uh, who, that, that carry through. those roles. Okay. Because, like I said, they do a lot of community service things that, that we didn't do in my years. <laughs> Jack, talk about the injury that you had when you were in high school. You said that, that was career-ending. How did you... How did you navigate that, the disappointment or the uncertainty or the frustration that, that came with and from that? Well, I, you know, I was still able to do all kinds of intramural and recreational kinds of things. Okay. But I couldn't do any contact sports. Okay. You know, so uh, you know, it was a, a, a facial uh, eye orbit and nose, you know, kind of a thing. Okay. Uh, that, uh, that happened when I was uh, getting ready to go into my sophomore year, you know, in, the, in that uh, football and uh, I got basically got kicked in the face. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, I've I've always been kind of an adaptable person, you know. So okay. I said, well, what can I do instead? 
yeah. So I went off and found something else to do. Jack, how involved or not involved were your parents in your athletic journey growing up? Uh, 100% not involved. Okay. Was that just the order of the day? What, it was very much the order of the day, but it was also that my dad was an invalid and my mom, you know, had to, had to work to support the family. Okay. You know, so uh, in my youth sports, I think, I think my dad saw me play one time and my, okay. and my mother never saw me play. And was that, like, concerning or saddening for you or was that just kind no, of was what I it was? Mean, you just didn't expect parents to be involved. Yeah. You, know, you got on your bike and you, you, you know, went to, went to baseball practice or baseball game or right or you got out of class at school and you went right to football practice you know and then uh, uh, football was a little different because it was a community activity so there were a lot of a lot of parents at the games right. in terms of football and basketball um, but no it never it never bothered me because it was just the reality for a lot of families uh, as well as in my family I, I understood that they could, they would want to be there if they could but they just couldn't okay how many kids did you and your lovely wife raise, Jack? Two. Okay. And did they play sports growing up? Uh, through middle school, uh, okay. my daughter played a variety of different sports. Okay. And then my son was uh, uh, a pretty high-level soccer player through okay. high school. Okay. Yeah. And coming from your family background, how did you know what to do or not do as they kind of took steps forward in their respective athletic careers? Well, I was able to uh, you know, have the flexibility in my, my work schedule. Uh, and it, it was a time when it was hard to get people to coach. You know? okay. So I was able to coach my son uh, and my daughter in, in soccer and in, in basketball. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of time with them, but we always talked about the difference between dad and coach. Yeah. You know? So when practice was over or the game was over, you know, dad. Okay. And what were the what were the potential hurt like? Did you ever have trouble keeping those respective boxes separate, or once you blew the whistle, were you able to kind of flip the switch? Well, once the once it, the practice or the or the game was over, it was easy. Uh, but I must admit, you know, I had the same problems I think any parent or coach has on on the sideline. You, you, you can, it's so easy to get caught up in the in the event and lose perspective. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, uh, worked at keeping perspective, but there were times when I would kind of check myself and go, "What am I getting so worked up about?" There's a bunch of seven-year-olds running around out there, and and I'm acting like, other than the fact that they're out there running around, you know, getting exercise, I'm acting like it matters. Right. You know? <laughs> and it doesn't. And it doesn't. <laughs> Jack, your uh, how many grandkids do you have? I have uh, a 17-year-old grandson. Okay. Uh, and I have a six-year-old granddaughter and then uh, two and a half year old twin granddaughters okay the olders of those have they had any inclination towards athletic activity uh, my grandson um, played you know baseball and flag football okay uh, in uh, uh, elementary and, and middle school okay um, but uh, he's really not that interested in, okay. in athletics yeah and what about the, the did you say six-year-old six-year-old okay yeah have they picked up any of the uh, peewee she, stuff or? Yeah, she's she's been doing gymnastics since she was three. Okay. Oh, uh, and uh, and you know she told us uh, a month or so ago that she she wanted to make sure that we understood that as far as sports were concerned that she wanted to do everything. <laughs> so she wants okay. to play tennis and and 
soccer and So her parents swimming. are going to be busy. Uh, I'm sorry? Her parents are going to be busy. Her grandparents are going to be very busy, yes. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Jack, when you, just from your perspective as a, um, as a professional who, who does counseling and kind of coaching for professional athletes at some level, correct? Correct. What, and I hate to start from a, a negative angle, but what mistakes do you see parents make most frequently when it comes to just letting their kids enjoy the youth yeah. sports experience? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different you know aspects of it, but one is time. Okay. Uh, so many parents don't actually look at the number of hours there are in the week. Okay. You know, and they have their kids involved in, uh, in, in sports and school. Uh, and their kids are working a 50, 55 hour work week. Yeah. You know, while the parents are working 40, their kids are working 50, 55 hours. Right. And, uh, and they don't allow uh, for the amount of time that kids need uh, for uh, unscheduled activities. Okay. Uh, so they, you know, they, they need to be with their friends and their, and their friends need to um, create issues and problems, you know, that they can all solve. You know, one of the things I think that's most illustrative of that, Steve, is, is that, you know, why do brothers and sisters fight so much, okay? It's, and it's because there really aren't any consequences. If you fight with your sister or your brother, they're going to be at the dinner table that night, right. or they're going to, or they're going to be at grandma's house. You know? Right, right. But if you don't handle your conflicts well with the kids at school, or the kids on your sport team, or or the kids in the neighborhood, they're not going to play with you. Right. Yeah. So there, there are actual consequences. You know. So it's very important that that free time, unstructured time, be out there, uh, so kids can can learn those messages. Yep. And the literature is out there. People talk a lot about helicopter parents, you know, and there's a relatively new term, uh, I think I, I sent you an article about, the snowplow parent. Right. You know, so we want clearing to every obstacle. Clearing every obstacle. It's okay. got to be a completely smooth road, and they're going to step in and make everything perfect for their child. You know, and, and it doesn't matter what the activity is. We see them, you know, with kids who are in drama, kids who are in dance, you know, and so it's not just sports. It's all, right. it's all youth activities sure. that we have to make sure uh, that the parents understand that it really doesn't matter. It's yep. the process, not the outcome, right. that we really want to focus. Jack, the sports have become industrialized to the point where kids have opportunities to get involved younger and younger for more and more chunks of time, for more and more dollars. From a developmental perspective, when, when is it? Is there a ideal window for a child to choose a sport or a handful of sports in which to specialize in? A handful is fairly early on because okay. what are they interested in? Right, you know? right. And, and what, you know, what do they care about? Uh, but it's an enormous mistake to have a child only play one sport. I mean, okay. as you said, the industrialization, the profit motive. Yeah. I mean, there are actually uh, groups out there uh, in, uh, that are basically saying to kids that are in the second and third grade uh, that if they're going to be on their travel team or whatever, they have to sign a contract with them uh, that they will that they will agree to not play any other sports. Really? Now, yeah. At seven, eight at, years old. At seven, eight years old, they My wanted goodness. to sign a contract, uh, which is absurd because an eight-year-old can't sign a contract. But they're basically kind of strong-arming the kid, you know, and then and then the parent, you know, into saying that. You know, well, if you really want your daughter to have a soccer scholarship, you know, or if you really want your son to make it into the major leagues in baseball, you know, well, 
it's wrong. It's the other way around. Right. You know, the, it's the playing a variety of different sports uh, that raises the, the potential of a child actually excelling eventually in their chosen sport. And notice I said their chosen sport. I didn't say the parents' chosen sport. You know, so you really have to pay attention to, you know, ultimately what the child is, is going to be interested in. I always like to, still to this point, like to laughingly, you know, tease my daughter about the fact, you know, that she could have been an absolutely fantastic tennis player, um, but she kept insisting on playing golf. I just <laughs> so as parents, the, I, I guess my guess is that most parents don't roll out of bed and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shame, manipulate, and power up on my children to give them an ideal kind of youth sports experience. What, what is it about us as parents, or some of us as parents anyway, that need so badly for our kids to thrive in lanes that are important to us? Well, I think that we allow our ego to get involved in our, okay. in our children's achievement. Oh, and I, I think that's the, I mean, if you stand on the sideline and, and watch, you know, when I was uh, president of the Rochester Youth Soccer League, uh, you know, we tried very, very hard to see to it uh, that parents came to observe the game, uh, not to get emotionally involved in the game. Right. And we actually set up the, 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 the teams that I was coaching, uh, we actually set up what we call tongue-in-cheek uh, parent counter-attack hit squads. <laughs> So that if a parent, so that if a parent, we let them know in advance what our expectation was, right? And then if a parent was getting, you know, overly involved, then other parents uh, would go over and try to change the subject, you know, ask him about the weather or yeah. or whatever, you know, to allow the parent to come out of that intense ego involvement. Yeah, Jake, it seems like there's more and more on the news about some parent who's, you know, verbally threatened a raff or started a physical altercation on the sideline. Do you think that those are more frequent, or is it just the, the advent of news technology and social media that's allowing us to hear about those more often than we would have? I don't think they're any more frequent. Okay. Uh, but like you said, you know, everybody's got their cell phone, you know. Uh, okay. Every, everybody's got a, a, a media opportunity, and there's so such an incredible number of uh, journalistic outlets for these kinds of, of stories. Uh, so it's wrong. It shouldn't happen, but I don't think it's happening any more often or or more frequently. So maybe it's more publicized but it's, not more prevalent? Is that what you're saying? My, that's my opinion, okay. yes. Okay. That's fascinating. Jack, what, you spent a lot of time in your doctoral research about the Myers-Briggs type indicator. What are, what are the implications or what are the, some of the insights from how somebody is wired to how they may or may not thrive in sports? Well, I think the biggest thing is is on the feeling thinking continuum. Yep. You know, uh, th there have just been uh, so many people, and it, we're making progress on this, but have bought into the myth that the best way to coach is to coach negatively. Yeah. You know, to yell at the child, to demean the child, you know, to point out all the mistakes that they make. You know, and uh, what what we found is is that that disproportionately negative negatively affects a person who has a preference for feeling, hmm. uh, because of the most important thing to them is the relationship, uh, and uh, and if the adult power figure, i.e. the coach, you know, is demeaning them, yelling at them, whatever, it's almost impossible for them to hear what it is the coach actually wants to accomplish. Sure. Uh, so we see many, many, many uh, children who have a preference for feeling whose athletic aptitude is actually very, very high, but they drop out of a sport um, 
because they have coaches who coach negatively or in a hostile fashion. And where did that, where did that mentality that that was productive, like where did that come come from? Well, I think it came from the military base. Okay. You know, we no longer have you know uh, the draft. You know, yeah. Uh, but for many many years, if you you know, if, if since at that time period time frame they were talking about, which is where did it come from? You know, right. So we have to look back in history. Uh, the vast majority of coaches, you know. Uh, still today are men, but but certainly were predominantly men, uh, and um, and people brought their military experience onto the onto the coaching field. You know, I remember as a as a very very mediocre uh, middle school football player, you know, ha- you know, having to march around the the practice field, you know, and in military formations and, and having the coach grab my face face mask and you yeah. know scream at me you know kind of thing and it just came out of the out of the military orientation okay uh, and there's uh, I'm not going to say that that's wrong for the military because that's not my area of expertise sure but it certainly doesn't work for sports as well as so, as some other techniques do Jack it seems like in some ways and I was just talking to uh, another friend and he said now there are, there are apps that parents can download that will track all of the all of their kids statistics as a 13 14 15 year old and again, I'm not saying that that's good or bad, but it seems like, at least watching my son, when I grew up, I grew up in suburban Chicago. If you're going to be a football fan in the NFL, you cheered for a team. And now with the advent of fantasy sports, like my son has, he's got a, he's got an Eagles jersey, he's got a Steelers jersey, he's got he's got gear from all sorts of different teams, which was like heresy in my age because it's it's a it's, displays a sense of fractured loyalty. But it seems like in our area, you want to. There's a little bit more of a focus on individual and individual performance, even on team sports. What What are the implications for helping eight, nine, eleven year olds learn how to be their best self, but also understand that what they're doing is trying to contribute in a broader environment? Well, I'm going to jump a little bit on that because, and I, I think I'm, I'm being responsive to your question. Uh, but when when uh, I, I had mentioned to you um, when we were talking about possibly doing this podcast, you know, some work that's being done out there as it relates to why kids drop out of sports. Right. Okay. And uh, and and the the actual title of the work that they're doing is is something along the lines of um, it it the thing that caused me to stop playing you know, yeah. was the ride home after the game. Okay. You know, and that speaks to the obsession that the parents have uh, with the statistics. With you know, when this was happening on the field in the in the first quarter, you know, uh, why didn't you make the pass, or or why did you make the pass and not take the shot yourself, and why didn't you? And and the parent might think that's just an, an interesting question to be asking, but it's not because of the role that the parent plays in the child's psyche. Uh, by definition, that's a negative question. You know, and the child puts, feels judged or put down or condemned, especially the child that has a preference for feeling. Um, and the, the ride home uh, is such a good example of the parent getting overly ego involved um, and either doing you know, the, the, the helicopter or, or whatever type of mistake that we make with our kids. Uh, whereas in reality, when it's done, it's done. And if you want to do that kind of stuff, become a coach. <laughs> so what kinds of things should parents be writing in their own mental script as they walk from the playing field to, to the vehicle with their young athlete? 
the other really big movement out there, which again has a very nice you know vocabulary that, that parents can learn from, and that is I loved watching you play. Yeah. You know, just you know, I loved watching you play. And then simply listen to what your child has to say. If something happened on the field that they need to process, that they need to get it out, you know, whatever, whether it's a good, neutral, negative, just listen to what they have to say. And if you if you if you have to do a reflective or or you know ask a clarifying question, but make absolutely certain that what you're talking about, uh, in terms of from the parent's point of view, is is you're talking to them from the point of view of how much I enjoy watching you play, uh, and also. Uh, from 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 the point of view of making sure that the child understands uh, that that's over. Yeah, that's over. Now now we're moving we're moving on to the to the next thing. Yep. Jack, you told me at one point, especially when you work with golfers, how how to how to reset after a, a after a bad shot or a bad hole. Can you explain a little bit of the kind of the patterns that you help people develop because. And some of those skill-specific individualized sports, there are there are breaks throughout the game to recalibrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the the process that I that I use is something I call the the peer approach. It's an acronym P E E R. Okay. You know, and it's plan, execute, evaluate, and release. Okay. Uh, so you you know you make your plan. You know what your skill set is. You make sure you're staying within your skill set. Uh, if, if, for example, if you're talking about golf and I'm working with a young golfer uh, and their uh, skill set is uh, you know, hit, using, their, using their driver, you know, then uh, I talk to them about having within their plan using a good judgment in terms of when they're going to be using their driver. Okay. Uh, they love their driver. Well, they shouldn't be hitting it off off the fairway just because they love it you know so it's it's that whole process of planning understanding it you know and then you you move into the actual physical reality of it you know with your your pre-shot pre-shot routine your visualization all those kinds of things and that's in the execution phase and then after you've executed it you evaluate how the execution went you know and notice we're we're oriented on process not outcome you know, okay. We're looking. We're looking totally at the process, uh, and then after we've evaluated it, uh, we release it. You know? Okay. And uh, in, in basketball, the most famous quote, you know, is, is the greatest shooters are the ones who have the worst memory. Okay. You know, and that you know, because they've released it. You know. Um, yeah. You, you you take your shot. You either made it or you missed it. But you're hustled to the other end of the floor because now you're playing defense. Yeah. You know? And so that process of being able to release it is one of the one of the hallmarks of a really top quality athlete is her ability to, for good or for bad, release what just happened and move on to the next part. And then it's just different for different sports because they're they're the flow sports, you know, uh, and then there's the stop and go sports. Yep. You know, and in the in the stop and go sports like you know football, golf, those kinds of things. Uh, you actually have a little bit more time to go through that process. Yep. Or in the flow, flow sports, you have to make it like soccer is a flow sport, mm-hmm. swimming is a flow sport. You have to be able to make that uh, releasing process work a little differently, but it's still very, very important. Are there particular athletes or clients that you've worked with who have, who have done that well? Like what, what, what's true about somebody who's able to master the, the release? Uh, one of the things that uh, I think uh, that, that is that defines the person who's able to master the release 
is the person who is able to keep their own ego in check. Okay. You know, and to what I mean by that, in from a sports perspective, is to be able to totally focus on the process. Okay. Uh, Jack Nicholas famously said, you know, uh, that if you care whether the whether, whether the putt goes in the hole or not, okay, you'll never be a good putter. That sounds so counterintuitive. Yeah, but you have to care about the process. Okay. Because there's so many things that can happen between the time that you know the ball comes off of your putter and when it goes in the hole, over which you have no control. Okay. Okay. Um, used to be you weren't allowed to fix spike marks. You know all the yep. all those kinds of things. You can't control when a when a gust of wind is going to come up. Sure. You, uh, you, there's so many things that you just simply can't control. Uh, so you so you do the process as well as you possibly can, and the athlete who can focus in on doing the process, um, and then moving on from there is the one that has a higher probability of reaching their maximum potential. Okay. Because potential is a combination of attitude and aptitude. Okay. You know, so if you can can and can fire up your aptitude with the right kind of attitude. Uh, then you can maximize your your uh, achievement. So one great struggle for parents is um, children. Well, I guess adults too have fluctuating attitude, <laughs> kind of kind of waves. What what recommendations do you have for people to either whether it's for themselves or whether for their young athlete to, to reset attitude when they feel themselves getting into what you like to call like the grip, which is mm-hmm. somebody's inability to think. Maturely about yeah. the situation. It's no different than than the physical aspect of the game. You know, my high school baseball, excuse me, my middle school baseball coach used to always say, "Do it in practice, you'll do it in the game." Yeah. If you're lazy in practice, you'll be lazy in the game. Okay. If you you know if you if you do it right in practice, you know. So and an attitude is part of that. You know? Okay. So you have to you have, your attitude doesn't just happen. You have to practice your attitude. Okay. You know. It's great. Uh, and and you you keep working on that attitude. And then you have to be, uh, you know, rigorously uh, objective. Now, while I don't want parents uh, emphasizing statistics, I do want them to feel comfortable in a reflective way, not on the way home from the game, okay, (laughs) to be able to to chat with their daughter um, in terms of, is that true? Okay. You know, because a a child will say, you know, "That's, that's the worst game that I've ever played. And... Oh, tell me more about that. Okay. And then as that comes out, then you can say, is that true? Uh, and if it's true, then you go, oh, well, okay, then uh, what can we do to, you know, to, to do a little bit better next time? Okay. But most of the time, it won't be true because it's a generalization. You focus in on uh, just one aspect of it. You know, the golfer who focuses in on um, uh, missing you know, a, a putt on the, on the 18th green. Well, they have a tendency to forget all about the putts that they made to get them to the point where they had the opportunity, you know. So we have to be uh, rigorously, and uh, a, a question that really often helps is, is that true? Okay. But again, parents aren't coaches, okay? Yep. But in helping the child learn to think about their attitude, uh, really focusing in on, on what's true. Facts are a very stubborn thing. <laughs> you know, and and if you if you allow you know a, a child in in any area of their life you know to be more oriented toward what's true yeah. um, than what they're actually emotionally feeling at that moment, uh, that can help them become more level in their performance. 
while at the same time it's true that everybody, even the greatest of all time, uh, go up and go down. Okay. Yeah. Jack, talk about how introverts and extroverts, and again, I don't, I know this is a, kind of a broad stroke, may may approach athletics differently. Um, extroverts need uh, a team. Okay. Uh, and even even if they're playing an individual sport like golf in college or high yep. school or, yep. or whatever, they need to feel they're a member of a team. Okay. Uh, and creating that that atmosphere. Uh, raises their achievement. Yep. Uh, introverts need to feel that they're a member of a team, but they also need to feel that they're an individual okay. uh, and that they can express that individuality. Um, and introverts need to have the opportunity to go away and think about it. Okay. Uh, so a, a, a coach who's working with an athlete who has a preference for introversion, you share information with them, you ask them to, 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 to phrase it back, and then you say, now you go and think about it. Okay. Okay. And then and then let me know tomorrow whether you think that's good advice or not. Okay. So yeah. tra- tra- drawing them into a long extended debrief is not going to be a gift to Correct. that child or no. athlete. And it's not a gift for any, whether introvert or extrovert okay. for the coach to use too many words okay and and that's what we tend to see is the biggest error that coaches make um, is they spend too much time talking okay so when a coach is giving a feedback mid-game or post-game how how did they just choose one specific aspect of the game to focus on so that it's manageable and memorable and actionable for the athlete well, we have to understand that after the after if we're talking about the game situation, after the game is over, uh, most of the time the the kids are drained. Yeah. You know, uh, their blood sugar's out of whack. You know, <laughs> that's why the universal rule in youth sports is to you know the the the, the mom or dad who brings the oranges and the, <laughs> and the snacks is the most important person out there. Right. Uh, but we, we have to understand that there's not a whole lot that can be done you know, in that given moment. Yep. You know, and the coach needs to treat himself or herself more like an introvert and go away and say, okay, now from this, from this activity, how am I going to modify practice this week? Yeah. You know, uh, and, and think that through. Um, but after the, after the match is over, especially in, in youth sports, hey, you know, hey, you know, we went out, you know, and uh, now have your orange, have your treats, you know, go home with your, your you know, mom, dad, grandma, yeah. whatever, and I'll see you Tuesday at 3. Perfect. Have a wonderful weekend. Okay. Jack, I guess I'm learning my own kind of spiritual and emotional well-being journey that sometimes my kids' sports experience are trigger things in me that I didn't always know were there. Mm-hmm. How can we as parents be proactive about maybe naming or identifying some markers um, and then maybe more fully leaning into those so that we can become not just better people or better parents, but even better better Christ followers for those of us who are on a faith journey? Uh, again, we're, we're back to that um, focus on the process. Okay. okay? When, you, when you as a parent feel yourself focusing on the outcome, yeah. Uh, and you feel really, really good, you know, when your child wins, and you feel really, really bad when your child loses. Yep. That's the first danger sign. Okay. okay? Uh, the reality of it is, your child may have won because they were playing against a team that just didn't have, you know, or your or your child may have lost, and the whole team played way the heck over their heads. 
okay. because they were playing against a team that was, you know, especially in youth sports when we do this two-year bracket thing, you know. Yep. Uh, if, you know, you, the studies on the National Hockey League, uh, most of the players um, who are in the National Hockey League were born in January, February, and March. Right. Okay. It has nothing to do with, you know. Their aptitude. Their, their aptitude. Their work ethic. Or their work ethic. It just happens to be that uh, those are the three months when you're born that fit the training outcomes, yeah. you know, that that fit the things that people are looking for. You know, so we have to, you know, like I said, Steve, facts are a very stubborn thing. Yeah. Uh, but they're also easy to ignore. Okay. But ignoring them doesn't change them. No, and so many parents think ignoring facts, you know, is going to change them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What what books or resources would you recommend parents to be reading? Whether it's just about their own self awareness, or because you talked about ego being a threat. So whether resources for parents to kind of sift through some of their own expectations about what matters and what doesn't, or books on parenting or, or sports psychology that would be helpful for the, the lay reader. Well, I think that it's uh, there's a obviously a, you know a variety of different things that are that are out there. Like you mentioned, you know my you know, my uh, research area is in personality type. You know? Yep. And I think it's really really important for parents to know their own personality preference, okay. and then to know their child's personality preference. And then there's a, a nice short little thirty ish page booklet. Uh, that basically is dealing with what happens when it goes wrong. You mentioned the grip earlier, yeah. you know. So recognizing uh, the grip, the triggers to the grip, because um, that's when we're functioning at our worst, you okay. know. Uh, and so it's, it's just in general being us a, uh, without being obsessed by it, but being a student of your child. Okay. You know, understanding that if, if your child's preference is for extroversion, then the probability of it is when they, if you happen to be home, when they come home from school, they're going to want to talk to you about it. Right. Okay. If their preference is for introversion and you're home when they come home from school, uh, just give them something to bump up their um, blood sugar and yep. then let them go away, you know, yep. and get their energy recharged. And then however long, because we're all individuals, however long it takes for that child to get their energy recharged, they'll come back out and then you can find out everything you want to know. But if you have a preference for extroversion yeah. and don't know it, yeah. then you're going to expect your children to respond the way you respond. Right. right. Okay. Um, so we, I mean, so, so it's we're kind of telegraphing yeah. our own wiring right. on our yeah. children. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we we have to be students of our children. You know. So I think, like I mentioned, those Myers Briggs things. Okay. Uh, understanding your child's love languages is absolutely, you know. Huge. Okay. Okay. Understanding uh, your own and your child's apology languages okay. um, is really a, a very important thing. You know, and the same author, you know, has has, has done both the love lang- the five love languages and the five apology, apology languages. languages. So okay. those those are really good things. But you know, sticking to that overall theme of of without being obsessed about it. Knowing the things you know that are that are most important, recognizing okay. your spiritual gifts, your child's spiritual gifts, you know, and then uh, understanding that um, um, to quote my my uh, child development wife is partial attention equals partial value. Yeah. So you when you're with your child, be with your child. Be all there. Yeah. You know, the thing that is so threatening right now in terms of being able to be effective as a parent is the uh, 
incredible increase in the number of opportunities and circumstances in which people are ignoring their children um, because whatever they're looking at on their on their telephone is more important to them at yeah. that moment, yeah. and that just simply says to the child, "I'm not as I'm not as valuable," you know. And if you go in any restaurant, any public area, anywhere, you'll just see example after example after example of the child just trying to get the parent's attention, trying to get the and, and the parent, no, 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 wait, wait, wait until I finish reading this, or yeah. I got to respond to this email. And partial attention equals partial value. Okay, that's a good. That is a good word, and that is uh, very pressing. <laughs> I think that there have been challenges for that in my own life, and some of the most convicting moments I've had is when kids say, "Like, are you are you with me? Are yeah. you here?" Because yeah. it doesn't it doesn't seem like it, and so yeah. that's and and that's a gift from them. Yeah, uh, because if they didn't have trust enough in you to confront you, they wouldn't say that. Because if, if they didn't believe that you'd respond, they just wouldn't bring it up. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because they don't have value. Right. Right. Well, Jack, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for your insights. You've given me a lot to think about, and I think that you've given uh, people who are tuning in some, some, some valuable next steps that they can take as well. So, Great. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Jack says, a person who can master release is someone who can keep their own ego in check. Jack Nicholas famously said, if you care whether the putt goes in the hole or not, you'll never be a good putter. You have to care about the process. There's so many variables over which you have no control, so you do the process as well as you can. The athlete who can focus on the process and move on has the highest potential for success. So how are you doing at letting go of mistakes and misses? How does your young athlete do at recovering from a fumble, a missed putt, a bad shot? And how might you incorporate Jack's four-step process to plan, execute, evaluate, and release going forward? If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Bad Soccer Dad on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, and leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.